Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. On this show, we interview recovering addicts who have stories of triumph and overcoming adversity. Today, I have Kristen C. C. C on the show. Recommended by a good friend of mine, your boyfriend. Yes. I actually don't know your story, but I think you're a Florida native, right? Rhode Island. Born in Massachusetts. Born in Mass. All right. Well, how long have you been clean now? Over seven years. Over seven years? Mm-hmm. Congrats. When's Thank your clean date? December 3rd, 2014. Nice. So where does your story start? So I'm from Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. My parents, you know, they got divorced at a young age. To me, it wasn't like a big deal. It was just like more freedom. Because mm-hmm. like some people have a divorce and it's like the most traumatic thing that happened to them. And some people have it and like to them, it, it's not traumatic at all. I remember the first time I put a substance in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like going in, my my parents had this old, like a stash of like old liquor mm-hmm. that had been there for years. And I remember like taking straight shots of gin right over the sink to the point of like vomiting. Wow. How old were you? I was like 12 years old. And 12 no one told old. you to do that? You just did it on your own? Yeah, I was just started doing it on my own. Like I said, we had freedom. Mm-hmm. So... When my mom was working or it was just me and like my girls in in the house, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the kind of thing I would do. But were you like a good kid growing up? Like, you got good grades or were you kind of like off the chain? No, I was a pretty good kid up until when I got to high school. First of all, in middle school, I got picked on a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I was a little chubby. Okay. I was a little chubby. Yeah. So was I. It's all right. Yeah. Braces, glasses, mm-hmm. and just like, you know, I went through the awkward phase. Okay. Well, going into high school, I started, you know, becoming more of a woman. I got mm-hmm. out of the awkward phase. I started getting more in touch with, like, my womanly side. I started getting more attention from boys. Mm-hmm. My introduction to high school was... It was in the summertime, right before I was going into high school. And I ended up going to a house party. And the house party ended up being a teacher's son. Mm. Okay. And the teacher was on vacation. I ended up getting alcohol poisoning there. How old were you? 15. No, 16. Sophomore year? Yes. Sophomore year, you go to a party. What were parties like for you guys? Smoking weed and drinking. Smoking weed and drinking. Yeah. We're like the same age, like probably listening to the same music. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, um, you know, some people had like trailer. They used to Mm -hmm. go down the trailer. They used to go smoking down, smoking by the beach. When did you start smoking? Smoking pot? Yeah. Middle school. Middle school? Mm Mm-hmm. My friend's mom, she used to smoke pot. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, the first time taking a couple of hits with her, drinking like strawberry wine Boone's Farm mm-hmm. and or like wine coolers, things like that. Yeah. I, the first time I got drunk was off wine coolers. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's like a Capri Sun. 
<laughs> All right, so you go to this party, you get alcohol poisoning. How do you know it's alcohol poisoning? Like the cops came, like you went to the paramedics, or you just like they were had to sick? call the ambulance. They called the ambulance. Yeah. Oh my god! They called the ambulance. I cracked my head. It ended up becoming this whole blown out thing. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom will remind me your friends left you there to die. <laughs> and it's like, we're kids, you know, obviously we ran, like they ran, they're scared. The mm-hmm. cops are coming, you know, we're in the teacher's house, you know, yeah, like yeah. this is a big deal. Kid get in trouble? Yeah, it ended up turning into a thing. And then when I was in the hospital, they didn't pump my stomach, but they gave me charcoal. I mm-hmm. ended up vomiting. I was highly intoxicated. I had stitches on my eye. It ended up getting blown out, which I had to get a rape kit done because... Oh, my God. Yeah, because someone had said that I was found with my pants undone Mm -hmm. and, like, my shirt coming down. And I have no recollection, Mm -hmm. so I don't know. It came back negative. But as you can see, like, that's not a good way to start high school. Wow. Because now everybody... This is the reputation that I've already established just become going Were people mad at you? Like, yo, you fucked up the party? Or people, like, were, like, just, like, whatever? I think they probably were mad at me (laughs) because I got us in trouble. Yeah. You know, like, I went... Overboard. Overboard and blew it for everybody. Story of my life. But Mm -hmm. someone was helping me, like, here, take this shot, here, take this shot, take this shot, when I was, like, you know, away. I don't know what what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. That's what happened. What was the rest of high school like? My junior year... I got with my high school sweetheart, and then I got another target on my back because we were very toxic. Mm -hmm. I was in an extremely abusive relationship, controlling, abusive. He would drive recklessly with me in the car. At one time, he broke my arm. I had it in my arm in a cast the whole summer. Wow. You know, my grandmother will remind me at one point, she was afraid for my life Mm -hmm. with this guy because... He was very unpredictable. Was it mainly drug and alcohol induced or this is just like kind of just toxic relationship? Between us, you know, him and I, we would smoke pot, mm-hmm. double dabble a little bit with ecstasy here and there, but nothing like too extreme. I just mm-hmm. feel like regular pothead stuff in high school. You know, I graduated by the skin of my teeth. Senior year, I went in late every single day. Mm-hmm. My dad didn't go to my graduation because he was not proud of me. Mm. I barely... Made really it. Made it. Mm-hmm. People always ask, like, you know, why would a girl stay in an abusive relationship? I know it's different for everybody, but, like, why do you think that at the time you stayed with someone that was, like, toxic? Besides being afraid for my life, I was just so wrapped up in that person and so codependent to the point where you think that you're going to die if this doesn't work out. Hmm. Like, it's going to hurt so bad that you can't go on. And I remember with the last straw, he came and he punched me in my face a few times. Then he ran from the police and I ended up calling. I called my dad and I called my grandmother. We got like a no contact order. And then after that, it was. That's it. That was it. How did your active addiction start after that? After him and I broke up, it was very painful for me. I started hanging out with my friends going to hookah bars, smoking pot, drinking, Jaeger bombs. Yeah, hookah bars were, were a hookah thing bars, like that. I yeah. forgot about that. Yep, yep. I was going to the gym a lot, and I ended up running into an old classmate of mine. He was in a grade above me. Mm-hmm. 
we started dating. We met him at the gym. I didn't even know him in high school, but we just knew each other. Mm-hmm. And we started dating. And then I tried my first drug of choice with him. It was that first pill, and I had no idea that it was going to completely take over my life for the next five, six years. Mm-hmm. Like, totally. Painkillers? Yes. Mm-hmm. Percocet. We did perks. Wow. Perk 30s. Okay. Yeah, in Florida, we don't call them perks, but yeah. perk 30s. Okay. Yeah. So his behavior was weird. You know, he would go, he would, a lot of times he would be tired out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, his behavior was just really strange. This is all Massachusetts. Rhode Island, mm-hmm. Massachusetts. Yeah. I live like right on the line. So okay. he would go to his truck for like 20 minutes at a time. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he was shooting up mm-hmm. the perks or what he was doing. But anyway, he would come back. And I didn't really understand because it was my first time seeing opiates and mm-hmm. I didn't really know what somebody looked like high besides being, you know, drunk or stoned or whatever. Yeah. And I remember it was the first time I said, what are you taking? And he told me and he he had me send him. He he went somewhere for work. He had me send him some. Mm-hmm. And I, I sent him a few pills in a candy box. Mm-hmm. And I sent it through the mail, and then I started doing them. Doing them yourself. Mm -hmm. So you met in the gym. So he was, like, pretty fit. Like, he didn't look like he did drugs. He kind of looked like he did drugs. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, like, sometimes people have, like, that's the thing with opiates. It's, like, when you, like, when I first started, like, people were doing opiates, but, like, they wouldn't look like what I would imagine, like, drug addicts to kind of look like, you know, because it's, like, in the beginning, you know, the first time I did opiates, I thought they were like lesser drugs. You right. know, I didn't think they were like hardcore drugs because I was already like smoking crack and stuff. So when I saw like pills, I'm like, oh, those are just pills. You know, how yeah. bad could a pill be? What goes on with you in the sky later on? He ended up taking off. He used me a lot. Mm-hmm. At the time, I had this really nice, I was really into cars. I had a 2004 Acura TL. Yeah. It was everything yeah. to me. Yeah. It was beautiful. Red on the outside, like tan everything, mm-hmm. wood grain on the inside. He would drive my car around while I was working at my Dunkin' Donuts job. Mm-hmm. That was my first job I had from 16 to 21. One day, he dropped my car off, and I never saw or heard from him again. I believe he took off to Boston. Mm-hmm. There was an issue with his brother and maybe pills mm-hmm. and a large amount, something like that. I don't really but know. He, he just was took off and never talked to you again. Mm-hmm. Wow. And he passed away. Wow. Active addiction. From an overdose. Mm-hmm. And, and then, so did his brother. Oh, my God. Yeah, both yeah. of them. Wow. Yeah, like years later. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So what goes on, you know, later on in your story? When he took off, now I have this addiction going. I'm starting to get sick. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to feel withdrawal when I don't get high. This is the first time you start withdrawing because he's not around to get him? Correct. Now I start realizing, you know, that one pill, I did it. And then a couple of days later, I did it again. Mm-hmm. And then the days became shorter and closer together till it was like doing it from morning till night. And it was all I thought about. Mm-hmm. He took off. I did the next best thing and I started dating my drug dealer. You know, <laughs> I just went over there. And then three years later, him and I, we stood together for three years. On blues. On blues, on heroin. Okay. When did you start? When did that happen? We transitioned at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't remember Snorting when. It? Yes, yeah. started snorting it. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time I did it, I was like, "What the hell is this? Like, this is this isn't even good." We moved away from the pills because we used to get the pills from a cancer patient. Mm-hmm. She used to sell it to us. 
she passed away. She was on hospice. She was on hospice for years. Mm-hmm. But you used to get large amounts from her. So then you transitioned to heroin. So the first heroin. time it wasn't good. Yeah. But anyway, we started doing that. And that's mm-hmm. what we did. And he started selling heroin. The whole community. During that three years, what are you doing for work? Are you still working at Dunkin' Donuts? I worked at Dunkin' Donuts. And were you selling too, or you were just a girlfriend? Don't, I was just a girlfriend. Okay. What are your parents thinking of you at this time? Well, I got. I went to work every day. Okay. I also was in nursing school. Mm-hmm. I failed nursing school. What happened was I was in nursing school right out of high school. I tried to get on Suboxone to straighten my act up. Mm-hmm. I remember being in clinicals at the time. If I couldn't get high or I couldn't get right before clinical, I would be throwing up in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I remember getting um, sent home sick a couple of times from clinical. I stay in contact with some of the people that I went to nursing school with the mm-hmm. first time. And I don't know if they knew that I had a problem. Probably you could see it in yeah. my face, in my eyes, my skin, my behavior. So you went to nursing school? Yeah. So you weren't selling, you were in school, and yeah. your parents probably thought you were like totally okay? Or did your parents know you had a problem? My parents started to see that I had a problem. Mm-hmm. Especially when I transitioned, I think with the pills, they kind of had an idea. But when I transitioned to heroin, then they really knew that something was mm-hmm. up. You know, I would disappear. I would not answer my phone. I would hide in the bathroom. We ended up transitioning to IV drugs. Mm-hmm. We would do it like fresh box of needles right from CVS. It wasn't like discussing like reusing yeah. the same one. Mm-hmm. We got a fresh one every single time. Wow. We wiped it with that. Disinfectant every Band-Aid? single time. Get out of here. <laughs> Tourniquet, everything. <laughs> you oh know? my God. That, I mean, that's how it started, but yeah. that's not how it ended. Mm-hmm. It ended in bad. Okay, so you start IV and drugs. So, like, when you say drugs, you mean just heroin or you're all, were you ever into Coke at all? I like crack. You like, I'm not, oh, I would so do Coke. So, you were doing crack too? Yeah. You know, you have like a drug of choice. You have like a drug of no choice. Mm-hmm. Heroin was my drug of no when choice. When did you get into crack? It just kind of happened? Just kind of happened. You just hang out with the people. and. But it was during that three-year period when you were with the, the new drug dealer boyfriend? Yeah. I got fired from Dunkin' Donuts for stealing. Oh, really? Wow. I was stealing for probably over a year. Mm-hmm. And they caught you? And I got busted. I got sloppy. Mm-hmm. Like my whole world started crashing. Mm-hmm. So failed school, lost the job, and I just continued to use. When you're using, you have, you know, so you have a crack habit and you also have like a hardcore dope habit. So yeah. what happens at three years after that? What are you like 24 at this time? See, the thing, Brian, is like my memory is not good. Like my boyfriend will tell me all the time, like my memory is no good. And it's true. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because of years of drug use, what I've done to my brain. Or if it's, you know, my higher power's way of protecting me. Mm-hmm. From you know? things that happen. Yeah. So I kind of look at it in that way, but mm-hmm. 23. What happens after you, you end the relationship with this guy? Well, he went to jail. Oh, really? He went to jail. Um, he got busted. He had a stolen gun on him. You know, hanging out with the wrong people, you say one thing to somebody and one thing to somebody else, and then they, you know tell the police or whatever. And it was just like a big tangled up mess. Mm-hmm. He went to jail. I continued to use to the best of my ability. I would visit him in jail. At this time, I was I started going in and out of rehab. I would visit him in, in jail. I would go visit him like on the weekends. Mm-hmm. 
still with my outfit from the night before, going on the town doing God knows what Mm -hmm. with God knows who, and like going to visit him. At this point in time, are you thinking about getting clean when you go to rehab? Yeah, well, I think at first... What was the rehab like in the beginning, like the times that you did go? Are these state-funded places? Yeah, I went to a couple of state-funded places in Rhode Island Mm -hmm. uh, multiple times. I've done IOPs. I've done psych wards. I did partial hospitalization where I took a bus and I went for the day and then I come back Mm -hmm. home. Like in uh, the literature of the 12th step, we talk about medicine, religion, and psychiatry. Like I did it all. Mm -hmm. Did you ever hear about meetings? Oh, you must have heard about meetings and stuff like that. Like, did you ever think about like getting clean and going to meetings? I remember my my first time, um, even with the slightest inkling of that is... When I was in the partial hospitalization, they had like these two older gentlemen from the fellowship Mm -hmm. come in and, you know, I would listen to their story, but there was just, there was no connection. There was nothing that Mm -hmm. made me feel like I'm going to continue on doing this. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just maybe a phase that I was going to get out of. Eventually, as time goes on, I continued to use. So then what led up to like later on in your story? In and out of rehab, at some point I was doing like an outpatient and they said, you need to go to a higher level of care. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to send they wanted to send me to Florida. So that's how my journey started in Florida. Wow. And I went to treatment here. What was treatment here like versus like over there? You think the treatment was different or you were just like ready to get clean at that point? Um, or you think being away from home helped you? I think that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just a completely new environment. It was me on my own, mm-hmm. nobody to pick up the pieces, nobody to, you know, if I decided that I wanted to go use, like I was going to be homeless. Mm-hmm. It was also the the environment change, you know, like looking around and I had not, Brian, I did not leave a five mile radius mm-hmm. in my active addiction. I just stood in my bubble you know, I didn't travel. I never went to Disney. <laughs> like the f- farthest I went ever went to like was Cape Cod or whatever. So to see this environment was like a, a total culture shock mm-hmm. for me. Like I couldn't believe it. It was almost like a, it was like a paradise type yeah. thing. And then this is the first time you've seen like other young people in recovery. Yes. What was your treatment stay like when you did get here? It was a nice experience. You know, I really feel grateful for the treatment center that I went through. Mm -hmm. It was shout out Pathway to Hope. I don't think it's Pathway to Hope anymore. They changed their name. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. They, Mm -hmm. you know, they vent, whatever. They join with other people Mm -hmm. or whatever. But my first time going to outside meetings, I met my sponsor, one of those outside meetings, uh, being around young people. And, you know, like at first, like my intentions weren't always pure, mm-hmm. you know, like I still, I didn't come in here totally fully willing, you know, like I was still messing around, mm-hmm. you know, we, we would get sent out on job search mm-hmm. and I ended up meeting up with a guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was not looking for a job, mm-hmm. you know, and I thought too, I was going to do like my one month here and then go back home. I believe that, you know, God had other plans for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What changed in your recovery where you started to take it seriously? Like what was like inspiring you to like, you know, stay and, you know, work the steps and get involved and like change your life? I fell on my face a couple of times. I got high while I was in halfway and I went back to treatment. It was either I got high down here in Florida right off Cis Trunk with someone that I was in halfway with. Mm-hmm. My option was. Shout out Cis Trunk. 
Yeah, so strong. <laughs> it's not there anymore. I know, it's like nice now. Yeah, now yeah. they have like the nice high rises over there. But mm-hmm. it was either you go be homeless on the street and use and get the F out mm-hmm. or you go back to treatment. And I got back to treatment. And the thing is too, it was like reality check. Like I was becoming 26 and I wasn't having insurance anymore. Like yeah. my options were getting. So it was like time mm-hmm. is ticking for me. Yeah, I was talking to someone today. They were like, how do people get clean? Like, did you want to get clean? I'm like, no one wants to get clean, but they start to see the the window closing. Yeah. So it's like when you first start using, it's like, ah, who gives a fuck, whatever. And like, you know, you burn some bridges and then, you know, you always have this reservation of like, oh, I could get clean like this if I wanted to. And then you start to get to the point like, holy shit, this might be now or never. Yeah. You know, and it, it's kind of like when you're in school and you have to write a paper, like I would just wait to like the last yeah. two hours to be like, holy shit, like I'm either going to write this paper now or I'm just not going to. And everyone has a different internal time clock and you might be 65 years old and you start to be like, fuck, now is the time that I need to really do something. And then at the end of the day, when you get clean, I believe that like that window starts opening again and you start to think like, well, maybe I have more time. And then it's just the whole cycle all over again. So I think for me, even when I got clean at a young age, even though I was so young, I started to feel real fear that like, I'm going to die or do something really dumb that's going to change my life forever. I was always the person that like, you know, I would do drugs and not give a fuck. And I would, you know, take stupid risks and laugh and joke about it. And towards the end, I was like, starting to blatantly see like I'm about to fuck my life up forever and I'm going to go to jail and I'm going to go to prison or I'm just going to get shot or I'm going to like end up overdosed somewhere you know and I think that uh with fentanyl now it's like that time is getting shorter and shorter because so many people are dying and I think when I was using I was one of the only people that was like I started to really think like well I could die from this and I think now people are really starting to get like aware of like it's not if it's when yeah When I first started using, I didn't think that way. But it's kind of like riding a motorcycle, you know? Like, I stopped riding motorcycles because that's what people say with motorcycles. It's not if, it's when. Everybody is going to crash if you ride motorcycles. Someone's going to hit you. You're going to lay your bike down. And I started to have that feeling of, like, I need to do something now. You had that feeling eventually, right? Yeah. One thing I do share all the time, Brian, when I share my story is that, you know, I had my runs with different drugs, Mm -hmm. IV drugs, smoke crack, whatever. When I, at one point, I got out of one of my times in treatment Mm -hmm. and I started drinking and I started drinking like how I did my dope from morning till night Mm -hmm. and it made me freaking crazy to the point where nobody wanted to be around me. When I'm doing dope, like I'll be in my boyfriend's basement, Mm -hmm. like barely see the light of day. But when I'm drinking, I'm constantly on the go, go, go. And like the party doesn't stop. I ended up getting a DUI. In Florida? No, it was actually back in Rhode Island. So you went back home for a little bit? Yeah. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got a DUI. Uh, After I got the DUI, I didn't care. I said, okay, well, I'm going to continue to drink. I just won't drive anymore. Mm -hmm. It wasn't stopping me. The consequences weren't enough for Mm -hmm. me. So what was enough eventually? It was the change of environment. Mm -hmm. It was really helpful. And then starting to go to outside meetings and see these young people that had similar stories to me. Like I always tell people, it's like, I'm lucky that like I got clean down here and I'm from down here because my first couple of meetings, it really did look like a paradise. 
of like all these people who were just lost and broken and they met up together and they all moved down here and like they're all going to meetings and happy and fun. And it starts to seem realistic mm -hmm. because, you know, when you're using a loan and you don't have an example that you can touch, feel and look at, it doesn't seem real. Like I would watch Intervention and, you know, watch Celebrity Drug Rehab and be like, Psh. and it didn't look successful. It didn't look attractive. It looked miserable. 99% of the time, they'd all get high within the show anyways. And it just seemed like it was never going to happen. No one got clean. How about when the credits come and then it says that they relapse <laughs> six months later? Yeah. And or, like, where's the dead. hope in that? Yeah, it's like... Where's the hope in yeah, that? it's like, da 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 Megan was never seen again. Or she AMA'd from treatment and got high the next okay. day. Yeah, and you're exactly. just like... So it's like there's there's no TV shows that I was able to see that was showing that people were staying clean long term. The only thing I knew about getting clean was that when you get clean and you get high, you get high as fuck. That was my only concept of getting clean was like, oh, yo, so-and-so just got a jail. And you're like, damn, like if you break them off something, they're going to get like annihilated. <laughs> and that was my only like thing that I thought of is like... Well, if I do get clean, like one Oxy-80 is just going to wreck me. So that was my only thing is like if you clean for a while, you're going to get really high when you relapse. And that was about it. But there was no concept of like actually staying clean, like staying clean for for months and years. Like, And at first I used to think, oh, I'll get clean one day. I'll get clean one day. And I remember that feeling that came over me that was like, bro, you missed it. Like, you're not going to get clean anymore. Like, it's not going to happen for you. And then you're just like, well, I'm just going to die like this. You know, you, I kind of just stopped caring. Mm -hmm. And then you walk into a meeting and it, like, hits you right in the face. Like, it's it's undeniable evidence. You know, you can't say that this, like, people, these people aren't clean. At least I didn't, I wasn't skeptical that these people were, like, hanging out every day lying. You know, like, I... It was very apparent to me that these people were hardcore drug addicts and now that they were clean. And it was almost scary because it's like, well, now there's a way to get clean, you know? Yeah, I, I can relate to um, getting to the point where just thinking this is it. Mm -hmm. Like, this is my fate. Like, I'm never going to get clean. Like, mm -hmm. I can't stay clean. I'm not going to get clean. And eventually I'm going to die this way. You know, and I had like this perception that I was living like this Amy Winehouse lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And like Lindsay Lohan, and mm -hmm. this is me, and this is what I do, and, and this is it for me. And forget about the girl that had dreams and goals. Mm -hmm. And then I came down to Florida, and I started seeing the young community of recovering addicts. And you were one of those people for me, you know? And that was that's like one of the reasons why I wanted to be on the podcast too, because... That's cool, thank you. You were one of those people that made recovery... I started opening my ears. I started listening. Mm -hmm. you no, know, you were young. You had a story of hope. You dressed nice. You were becoming successful. Mm -hmm. You were funny, laughing. You had friends. So I started getting curious about this. Like, maybe I can do this too. You know, maybe I can have my form of success and mm -hmm. recovery as well. You know, and I was able to do it. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. And it's like, you know, th there was people when I first got clean that they might have had 60 days and I would look at them and they had a car and they had a girlfriend. And I was like, wow, because it's like when, when I was using, I was so ashamed of my drug use because I just like crack made me feel so dirty. And it's like uh, no one else was smoking crack. Mm -hmm. And it's like 
It was embarrassing that my parents had to find out that I was smoking crack. And when my mom used to find chore in my room, it's humiliating, you know, but it's like, this is really what I'm doing. And I don't know, like, how it, this happened. When I would, like, smoke crack and, and do, like, these things, I would, like, tell myself, like, like I hope no one ever finds out about this. Because I used to think, like, if I ever got clean, I just got to get over this. And you would see people dressed up in suits or, like, you know, successful or whatever. And they'd get up there and they'd be laughing about smoking crack and talking about their active addiction and making jokes about, you know, copping crack on cis trunk by church's chicken or something like that. <laughs> and you would laugh and you would relate. It'd be like the shame would kind of go away. And it's like, hey, look, this happened to us, but at least we're doing something about it today. And it felt cool to just be able to talk about drugs with someone and not go do them. Because the only time I ever brought up crack was like, we're, we're on the way to get crack. It was almost as if like people who have like trauma and they just never talk about it. And then like they talk about it and it's just not as traumatic anymore because for the first time they're like facing what's bothering them. It changed my whole perception on life. And even my family was not with it. My family was like, hey, Brian, you probably shouldn't fucking tell people you're smoking crack. You know what I mean? How was your family when you got clean? Like, were they supportive from the beginning? They were, they had had, they had, had it with me. Mm -hmm. There had been so many times where I promised that this was going to be the last time. I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to do drugs anymore. Like, I promise every time. Never, it didn't fail. Like, I, it took many years for them to actually start to trust me again. Many years. Years. Yeah. Like, if I sounded tired. Yeah. They would ask me if I'm taking something. Plus, I wasn't, I was in Florida. Yeah. So I'm just on the phone. Mm -hmm. You know, it took a long time. How would you react in the beginning when they would like ask you if you were high or something? I would get aggravated. Mm -hmm. You know, I also sometimes too, I was like slurring my words a little bit. I was on like comfort meds. Mm -hmm. You know, they, I don't know if you remember, they give yeah, all the comfort yeah. meds mm -hmm. when you're in treatment. So I was in like gabapentin and visceral and whatever until I started, you know, abusing my comfort meds too. Mm -hmm. You know, if the bottle says take one three times a day and take I'm taking three, three. Three times a day. All right. Mm -hmm. Or 10 and go into IOP. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a problem. You know, I didn't know what it meant like to not use. My sponsor, she showed me that mm -hmm. because I literally would use anything to feel different, to feel get outside of myself, whether it be my drug of choice, mm -hmm. alcohol, prescriptions, whatever. I shouldn't even take like Benadryl and stuff like that because mm -hmm. I would, you know how many times like I got busted <laughs> robo tripping yeah. from NyQuil and mm -hmm. stuff like that, whatever I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. I just always wanted to be under the influence of something Yeah, at all times. Even when I got clean, I found myself wanting to do drugs that I never wanted to do before. Like being like, oh, well, if I do a bunch of whippets, that doesn't show up on a drug test, you know? And it's like, I haven't done whippets since like middle school, you know? But it's like, once the disease starts to see that you're not doing what it normally does, it tries to get you in other ways. And it's like, my biggest thing with the podcast is like to show people that it's not like an event. Like you, I didn't get clean and my life just started getting good. Like I still had to deal with the stigma of everyone still looking at me like a drug addict. Because sometimes it's like, dude, even my own family was still like, I was still breaking rules. I was still breaking the law. I was still stealing. Like, I didn't stop stealing until I had, like, nine months clean, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like I still, 
even though I was off drugs, I was still klepto, you know? I was still stealing with a couple years clean. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's like when people hear like, oh, your parents didn't trust you with two years clean, like to someone who's not in recovery, that might sound like, oh, well, they're crazy. But the reality is, is that like when you've lied to these people over and over, like they're hurt. Mm -hmm. They want to trust you. It's not like your parents don't want to trust you. They want to trust you. They have their own trauma to deal with. And they're not willing to trust you because they have so much bad history with you. Just like a, like a bank. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, yo, if you owe a bank money, like they ain't lending you new money until that old shit is paid off. And if you fucked over your family for 10 years, like it might take 10 years for them to let you back in. And some people think that's messed up, but that's actually kind of healthy. You know, it's almost toxic for a family member to be like, oh, well, I heard you're clean now. Here's all this trust. Yeah. And as an addict, it's difficult because we're trying so hard to gain the trust back and we feel like we're doing it for nothing. And if someone would have told me like, hey, dude, even though you're clean, it might take years for your parents to trust you. I might have just given up. I was so based in instant gratification. Doing something in a return of getting rewarded in years was like, what? The, like, <laughs> it was like, get out of here. Like, why would I even start that process? Years? Like, I'm not waiting years. And like in recovery, it's taught me how to think in years. Well, if I start now in five years, I'll have it. And like those five years will happen. And it's like schools like that, you yeah. know? That's a good way to think of it. I remember I had 60 days clean. My dad co-signed for me to get a car. Wow. This was so bad. This was back in the day. Mm -hmm. That night. I went to pick up my car. That night, I was drinking, driving. I didn't know where mm -hmm. I was, lost. My dad's calling me. Oh, my God. How could you do this to me? It just, I had no... Yeah. So this one time, I was asking, like, a friend of mine. So in my active addiction, I did this girl really dirty for years. Like, just, like, really tortured and harassed this girl. She almost put a restraining order on me. Like, and, like, when I got clean, I was just, like, begging for her to be, like, my friend again. I was, like, writing her emails and, like... I like dropped off flowers at her house. I had like a year clean. I was reaching out to her like, you know, I have a year clean. Like, I don't understand like what's going on. And she was like, well, for all those years you were high, I was clean, stone cold sober going through all that. So as bad as it bothers you, like fucked up for you to think about it, like I was sober that whole time. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, damn, you know, because it's, it's like traumatic for me. Like, I feel so embarrassed about it, you know, but it's like your dad was clean during that whole situation. At least we were like high through it. God knows what else I fucking said or did that I don't even remember. You know, my brother had to see me come home intoxicated on a regular basis, mm -hmm. screaming at my mother. You know, sometimes he would videotape me. Wow. I have one on my phone. He's a little, your little brother? He's five years younger than me. He's a police officer now. Wow. Yeah. And we're tight, like mm -hmm. we're good friends now. I put him you mm -hmm. know, in those positions. He was getting into fights with my boyfriends, fights in the house, getting punched in the face. Mm -hmm. One of my close friends, his sister grew up to be a substance abuse counselor and he's having issues with her and they're fighting about petty shit. And he's been clean a couple of years. And I was like, bro, why do you think your sister even chose this profession? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, are you not aware that like, you had done so much damage to your sister that she couldn't help you, that she chose to dedicate her life to help other people. You know, I'm always trying to tell them, like, dude, you just got to, I don't care what the situation is, you have to let her win and just be the bigger man, you know? Sometimes we don't realize, like, that girl, she works in substance abuse. So, so that girl, it's like sometimes we, imagine fucking up someone so much <laughs> mentally 
that they choose to go help people like us, you know? And it's like, um, she told me when she got, like, now we're friends, by the way. So now we're, like, best friends. And she told me, she was like, I never did coke all throughout college because I just remember what it did to you in middle school. So she was like, you know, I never thought, like, I'd work with mental health or whatever. But, like, you know, she's a therapist now and she works with, like, all populations. It's cool because she's like, yeah, I always tell my clients all about you, how there was, like, this one kid who was in high school who was, like, the biggest piece of shit. So, like, sometimes when I tell my story, because I was so young, people are always like, oh, that's so sad. I was known as the biggest piece of shit. Like, that kid is a piece of shit, piece of garbage, like, fucking womanizing, scumbag, steals anything, will rob anybody. And even clean. Like, I didn't get clean and just become nice. Like, I remember just being, like, a, a total asshole. Really, because I just was so insecure. I just had so much built up insecurity from, like, childhood, from being bullied, from, like, all this other shit going on that, like, I had just built such a tough exterior. When I got clean, like, I didn't know how to manage that. I didn't know how to... I didn't know how to be vulnerable without feeling like you were going to take advantage of me. I didn't know how to set boundaries. I don't know how to communicate clearly. I didn't even know how to be like sarcastic without being an asshole. Like I didn't know how to even communicate or talk to people, you know? Same. I couldn't look anyone in the eye. Yeah, couldn't look anyone in the eye. Looked at the ground the whole time. Yeah. Or it was just like a total douchebag. Like I tell people, like I'm a recovering douchebag, <laughs> you know? Just because we get clean, like our personalities are so fucked from drug use. Just because the way you interact as drug addicts is so fucked up. It's just so about what do you have and what I can get from you. And if you turn your back for a second, you know this person's going to screw you over and vice versa. And it really creates like this paranoid, insidious thinking of like, you can't let your guard down around anybody. When I came into the recovery community, you know, my guard was up at first. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know why would this person want to help me? What mm -hmm. do they want from me? You know, male and female, like my sponsor, you know, she started sponsoring me from the kindness of her goodness of her mm -hmm. heart. Like, why would this woman help me now as I stay clean for a while? You know, I understand how it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. feeling like undeserving of it, too. And just because we go from active addiction to recovery and it's polar opposites. Like an active addiction, like no one's giving you a ride. You know what I mean? It's like no one's taking you to your halfway house. Like no one's picking you up. No one's doing anything unless you got money for them or drugs for them. Like, no one's doing you a favor. Not for free. Not for free. Like, no one's hooking up your bag. You know what I mean? It's like, and then you, you're in recovery and people are just, like, willing to pay for your meal and take, you know, I'll take you home and call me if you, if you need to talk. For me, it felt like almost too good to be true. But I also was such a, like, even at a young age, I was such a good um, eye for bullshit that I knew that they weren't bullshitting me. Because I knew that they weren't trying to sell me anything because I didn't have money to buy. And I knew they weren't, like, tricking me into, like, it didn't feel like a setup. It, it really did feel genuine. And it, it felt really refreshing and it felt like home base. It felt like a safe place to be. What happened, um, you know, after you started to stay clean and change your life? Like, what else goes on in your story? So I stayed in Halfway for two years. Awesome. I love to hear that. Yeah, I see. I hate when people money. are like, oh, well, you know, I got 90 days. I'm ready to leave. I'm like, no, you're definitely not. No, I was afraid to leave. That's awesome. What was I going to do when no one was watching? Mm -hmm. And at this point, yeah. mm -hmm, I had built, you know, a decently solid foundation. And people hear that and are like, oh, well, I don't want, you know, you have to have a foundation first. And then you could go do anything you want. You go live in Greece. You could go travel the world. But like for me, I needed to stay in a safe environment 
for a couple of years, maybe even like two or three years. Structured? Like, yeah, I was scared to go away to college. I was scared to like go travel places because I knew I uh, behave really well under supervision, you know? But it's like as soon as someone's not watching, it's like I start to just like slide the scale a little bit. I saved money. I was paying my rent. Mm -hmm. I cleaned the house, go grocery shopping. You know, I started being a functioning person. Uh, pay bills, you know, in my active addiction, the bills would come and I would be swiping the credit <laughs> cards for every single store. Man, I just let them pile up. I just couldn't want to deal with it. You know, so I started taking responsibility, got a bank account. I got my license back. It's a community service over in Sistrunk. Nice. Got my license back, saved up for a car. I got my own place, started living on my own. I got into a relationship with one of the kids in the halfway house. I had mm -hmm. a, about a year. Uh, that lasted for about a year. He was on and off getting high, couldn't stay clean. Mm -hmm. And I remember he came to my house and he kissed me in my mouth and I tasted crack. And wow. my heart dropped to my stomach and it was in that moment was i going to stay clean or was i going to get high with a boyfriend like i've done with every other time mm -hmm. i asked him to leave and i stood clean continue to stay clean and got stronger in my recovery more than ever mm -hmm. step work service sponsorship all of that yeah i think that's the determining factor for people who stay clean so it's like when you have a fucked up situation, do you lean into your recovery or do you walk away from it? So it's like, no matter how long you've been clean, when shit hits the fan, are you going to more meetings and doubling up on what you need to do? Or are you actually going to the casino, fucking different fucking people, going shopping? Because like all that stuff is great, but it's like when shit hits the fan and you're using those things when you need to be using the program is where you start to build up a pattern of not taking care of what you need to take care of for your own mental health and your own recovery, you know? <laughs> you know, I was dating this girl once. She was like, what would you do if we broke up? And we had been dating for like a couple of years, you know? My first reaction was I'd go to a meeting, I'd call my sponsor, I'd do a pros and cons list, and I would pray about it. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, I was like, what would you do if we broke up? She said, I'd fuck all your friends. <laughs> like, I remember just being like, all right, cool, you know, like, she, like she was joking, but it's like, you know, I don't think that I, I think like she thought I would be like, oh, I don't know what I would do. You know what I mean? But it's like, I, I know that no relationship is worth my recovery. I know no job is worth my recovery. If, if I was to get fired today or lose like whatever I have, my company or whatever, it's like, I know what I would do because I've been doing the same thing for 14 years, you know? And it's like, what you do in those moments are like, what's going to define you later on in life? Stay in the solution. Mm -hmm. And I stay grateful too. I don't take anything for granted. Like I yeah. stay grateful for everything in my life. Like I look around and I see, see the life that I built for myself mm -hmm. and I still can't believe it. And I just, I thank God every day. That's awesome. So after that, you stayed clean. When did you want to pursue being a nurse again? Started taking courses. You know, it was, it's always been my dream mm -hmm. and it was a, a goal that I worked towards. And I put myself through nursing school. I took out loans, went through nursing school, worked full time, went to meetings. I still was exercising, got my associates in nursing. Awesome. And I've been practicing as a registered nurse for about six months now. Wow. That's mm -hmm. so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like, you know, you had a dream and like you went for it. Yeah. They say a lost dreams awaken. Mm -hmm. like, that's me. That's my life for sure. How has your family been like in your life over the past couple of years that you've been clean now? My mom and I were best. We're, that's like my best friend, mm -hmm. you know. My mom is, uh, she's mentally ill. 
So, you know, she's there, but mm-hmm. she's not all there. But I love her for exactly who she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I help her as much as I can. My brother, he was just down here in Florida. We just hung out. Wow. He calls regularly too, mm-hmm. you know. He comes to me, you know, to to talk to me and bounce ideas off me. And, you know, this is the same kid that I put through all those situations mm-hmm. in his, when he was in a very... Um, yeah, his childhood. Different, yeah. My dad, he's uh, remarried. He adopted a child. Mm. And, you know, I talk to him on a regular basis. My dad's been like one of my biggest supporters my entire recovery. That's so cool. So I always try to ask people on this show, like, why do, do you think some people stay clean and some people don't? And now they've been clean, you know, seven years after watching, you know, so many different people come in and out. Well, I believe that for me, like, God had God had a purpose for mm-hmm. me. And even when I want to use, I just, I don't. I keep the fact that I'm, I'm an addict and I'll always be an addict. And I keep that first no matter what. Mm-hmm. No matter the, what success that I have in my life, all the good things that come first, and foremost, I'm an addict. Mm-hmm. And I, the day that I forget, that's the day that mm-hmm. I'm in trouble. A lot of people think that's like a negative way of like thinking that you're always an addict. But like when we say that we're addicts, it means that there's always work to be done. If I said like, oh, I'm, I'm cured and I'm no longer an addict, that would mean that there's no more work to do. So it's like when I say that I'm an addict, I'm saying that I'm going to continue to do what I have to do to make sure my disease is managed and under control. Just like when people have cancer, they don't say, oh, I'm cancer-free. They say, like, I'm in, I'm in remission. You know, like, yeah, I don't have cancer active right now, but it could always come back. And that's the thing with staying clean is that if you don't think it's going to come back, that's the first step of it coming back. You know, I had a friend who relapsed, and when he relapsed, he called me. He's like, bro, I thought this would never happen. That's kind of the beginning of relapse. <laughs> like, if you don't think the rules apply to you, that's the first sign that you're going to get high is when you start thinking that the rules don't apply to you and that you're different, that you're unique, and that you might not be an addict anymore. And it's like, that's how things start to get slippery. It's just like going to the gym. I'm never going to go to the gym so much that I don't have to go anymore, you know? I have this healthy fear, Mm -hmm. you know? I don't want to go back to that place. I don't want to lose everything that Mm -hmm. I've gained, and I don't want to feel like how I used to feel. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, if I had kids, I wouldn't be like, oh, well, I don't need to watch them anymore. Like, I've already watched them enough. It's like, you know, my recovery is still a baby. My recovery is still something that needs to be maintained, maintenance, constantly checked on. And it's just like a business. It's just like anything else in life. It's like something that you don't just get to a point where you walk away from it. It's like the reason why it got to that point is because I didn't walk away from it. But hey, I want to thank you coming on the show. I know it was tough scheduling you, but I'm glad, you know, you came on the show. I know it was, you know, it had some issues and, you know, some fear. And I appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I know. Shout out Corey. I know he probably wants a shout out. (laughs) This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. <laughs>